Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Society has taught us that you find your partner or not, but I think like generally it's like there's a plan that you follow to some degree, which I know is changing, but it's still like we were brought up in a time where nuclear families are valued. I used to think in my ways, my immature ways, like, well, why doesn't everyone like going to the gym and working out? Like, because some people don't. Just like, I don't like hanging around the office after work and drinking whiskey. Everyone's different. People like different things. People have different interests. Hey everyone, Meredith here. You are listening to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. Today's episode is about cats, exercise, and kids. It's a bit of an update episode on what's new with us and something that I don't think we've actually talked about on the show before, and that is our take on having kids. People ask us all the time, are you going to have kids? Do you want kids? What happens if you don't have kids? So we're going to talk about that. Maybe some of it will resonate with you. Maybe you won't care and that's fine because everybody can make their own decisions, which is what we talk a lot about. So anyways, here we go. Alex Parker, the floor is yours. Isn't that, is that like a, that's like a lawyer thing. Wait, is it? No. That's like a house of representatives. I yield or something. I don't know. Okay, I watched everyone, some... everyone, I have an announcement. Okay. Ivan's mom is here. Oh, that's why you don't hear him anymore. <laughs> yeah. Ivan's mom arrived, who also is my mom. We have the same mom, but we're not related. I know it's weird, but he's so much more calm and personable and involved we actually see him involved is the word yeah i didn't know that cats apparently have social anxiety because he just like would not socialize with anyone no no one not even ivy who he's historically been friendly with yeah they go way back like basically four years yeah because i since four. ivy was a kitten yeah yeah he's actually coming out it's wild he was basically so he's with us a few days early for some reason i can't remember you talked about it on the last episode yeah. i don't know maybe it's in there maybe the editors it's cut it out part partly because i was at my mom's packing christmas cookies and he was so cute um, and he was hanging out with me and super cuddly and i wanted to keep him oh so i oh. brought him up early okay and then they had plans to go overnight somewhere so they were gonna have to bring him to the kennel for a night <laughs> so i was like why don't i just take him like three days early yeah and save him from having to settle in at the kennel for one night and then bring him back home. It was just going to be a whole thing for him. And you had a whole, now you get three cats to cuddle. Yeah. And I had company on the drive back to Fernie. But instead he, he sat on my lap the yeah. whole time. I don't know if that's illegal. I don't think it's I didn't illegal. get pulled over for it. Yeah. Well, next time maybe. Yeah. But anyways, and he got here and was basically like, go fuck yourself. What if you got everybody. pulled over for speeding and you had a cat in your lap? Ma'am. <laughs> Ma'am, is that a cat? I need you to lap? put your pussy away. <laughs> Ma'am, put your pussy in the box. <laughs> okay. Ma'am. Anyways, I don't know. It'd probably be like if you, I often actually have thought about what happens if we get pulled over and Rue is in the car, who would absolutely like lose her shit, mm -hmm. you know? Cause like more than likely going to be a man. So, so that's strike one in Rue's book. If you're a man, not interested. 
also in uniform. Strike mm, two. Yeah. Unlike us, she doesn't like uniforms. No, not doesn't share that kink. No. And then strike three, like being mean to her mommies. Yeah. So I don't know what would happen in that. Like, would we have to get out of the car? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I've actually thought about that one. The cat, I, I'm not sure about so the cat. So don't speed with Rue in the car. No. Okay to speed with cats on your lap. Yeah. Speaking of Rue, we've never talked about this before because we're kind of new, newer dog owners. Rue is like a year and a half old. And when we went away to Philly for Run Club, instead of just boarding her, because usually we have Lindsay watch her or my parents watch her, but both of those dog sitters were coming to Philly with us. So we ended up having to find someone else to take care of her. And we thought, well, since we're away for 10 days already, we might as well do a board and train rather than just a board. And so we found someone. How did you find this woman? So I was looking for someone near Calgary. So there was the guy that I talked to like way back, but he doesn't do board and train anymore. And then I just started contacting people and was put in contact with this person who kind of works for a company, but definitely kind of very much on her own. I got in contact with her. We chatted and like relatively affordable for the duration, like for how long it was. It wasn't super expensive. I remember because we had a call set up with her slash you did. Yep. And I don't know if it was after a period of time where like no one was emailing us back about anything. Yeah. We felt like everyone was incompetent at their job or like didn't want business. It was a weird situation. So when she called on the dot. Yeah. We were shocked. I was like, oh. This is new. Yeah. So she calls. She's prompt. Yeah. And very responsive. And like you could tell. What's her name? Danny Danny Armstrong. We'll give her a plug. Yeah. Danny Armstrong. If you're in the Calgary area and you want dog training for whatever your dog's issues, like basic obedience all the way up to like reactivity, aggressive dog type stuff. Danny Armstrong. Like you can look her right up. She's on Instagram too. Has a really good account. She does a lot of work with German shepherds and like police dogs. So. And then she had Rue for three weeks. Yep. And Rue came back, not necessarily a completely different dog, but I think there was, like, she had given Rue a really good start. Yeah. And then we learned what to do in terms of progressing her down the the right path. Yeah. So that was really helpful. Like, it's not like you just get your dog back and all of a sudden your dog's problems are all solved. No, you... Not that Rue's a problematic dog, but, like, any dog, you know, might have some small issues... So it wasn't like, you know, she was cured. No. (laughs) She's still like a puppy. She didn't go to Bible camp. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it was helpful for us to kind of like be like, okay, this is what we should be doing. Yeah. It's like learning. I mean, it's like anything like learning a language. Like, How many people out there learned a language in high school? And then as soon as you are done with your classes, like you stop using it and you lose it. Yeah. It's the same thing with dogs. It's kind of like, you know how people say... Or at least we live by this with our business is you offer a ton of free information and eventually someone will want to pay you to tell you that same information to them. Yeah. And like, you know, sift through this is the stuff that is for you. We were following a lot of dog trainers. Like we had a couple dog trainers that came to our house and stuff. Yeah. Like you were watching YouTube videos. It was only a matter of time where we were like, okay. We will pay you to tell us exactly what we need to hear for our dog specifically. Well, the more I was like researching it. So the person who came out a few times when we were in Calgary to do like in-home training was a positive only trainer. So only positive reinforcement, never any negative. And I was like, "Mm, 
I don't know. It just kind of became clear like that was not going to work on Rue. She did give us some good starts. Yeah. Because I was, especially for me, because I was linking. You were chaining. You were chaining. So she would jump and then sit and then I would give her a treat. So then, which, the, like, in hindsight, I know is so dumb yeah. that I was doing that. But when you're in it, you know, you just don't know. Yeah. And so she's like, okay, so you're training your dog to jump and then sit. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, oh, right. That yeah. makes perfect sense. Yep. So in talking with Danny, she's definitely like a positive reinforcement trainer too, but there are negative consequences in certain situations, which from what I've read and like people who work with shepherds and with collies, you almost have to do that because the reactivity is baked into their genes Mm -hmm. and there has to be a negative consequence in certain very specific situations. Yeah. Like she's an advocate of e-collars when used in the right way. And I gave her ruse, but she didn't end up using that. And we almost never use that collar either. I think we were cautious of using it because it can really mess your dog up. Oh, yeah. It can make things so much worse. If you're zapping it like a lot, then the dog can become very like anxious and almost more reactive. right? Yeah, because it doesn't understand in what situations like this punishment occurs. Yeah. I think I can count is less than 10 times that I've actually used the shock feature on that collar. Yeah. I am really wary of that. I used it once and it was horrible. I hate punishing Rue in any way. But she used to, I mean, she still does. When we run together, she'll start like jumping on me or Mm -hmm. trying to herd me and bite me. And she starts growling like, and I zapped her and that stopped. Yeah. Like for a long time. Yep. But it was very like, she was right in the moment of doing it. And she was like, oh, I have to stop doing that. Yeah. And even on the handful of occasions, like there was one occasion in the dog park, she had her collar on. And it's so weird. She has like no dog radar. Like if you come in the dog park and you don't have a dog, she knows immediately that you don't have a dog. Mm -hmm. And if you're a dude, that's an even bigger problem. So there was someone, I think he was like doing the garbage or something and he had a big wagon and she just started being shitty to him, like barking, kind of like nipping at his heels like she does, like jumping up. I zapped her once and she was like, never mind. Sorry about that stopped immediately so i think she's like she understands part of the reason why she understands that so well is because it's used so infrequently she's a pretty good dog easy to train she is smart yeah but there are certain things that we needed help with so yeah so the three weeks were mostly spent from what i can tell in bass pro shop (laughs) (laughs) canadian tire and she had a really good base it was beneficial that she's so well trained coming from us from a obedience like she understands commands they conveniently were the same commands that the trainer used from like a sit down, wait here, like everything, like the release word was the same. Okay. So all of that was very familiar to Rue. So I think she sort of hit the ground running with the trainer. Once she stopped freaking out about us leaving her at the trainer. Yeah. But the three weeks were mostly spent, you know, it was explained to me, dogs who exhibit reactivity, it's can be in large part a fear-based reaction. Like they don't understand, they don't want that situation to escalate that person to come any closer. So like they bark in the ground, do whatever. So what she did was basically strategic exposure to new scenarios and people where you allow the dog to kind of see, observe, and then you look for signs of like going near that threshold. And then once you start seeing those, you take them out of that situation, get them to re-engage with you, and then you take them back over to that situation and let them see that it's fine. She said it's basically like the first time you ride a roller coaster, you're really amped up and nervous about it, and then you ride it, and it's fine. And then the next time you go to ride it, you're less nervous. She's like, that's the same idea with dogs when you expose them to situations, but they need to learn that nothing bad is going to happen to them or the people that they love when they're in new situations. Essentially, you're not teaching the dog not to react. 
you're just increasing that threshold. So that's the visual. It's not a negative, like, no, don't do that. It's just like, hey, I still actually want you to react in, in specific situations. For example, if you were getting mugged, abducted. abducted, abducted, like you want your dog to do something. But we want that. And threshold. I could get abducted any day because I look like a small boy. I know. And people hate that. <laughs> But yeah, you want that threshold to be so high that in everyday situations, the dog's going to be like, oh, this is fine. I know I'm safe. And even if I don't know I'm safe, and this is part two, I'm going to check in with my human to make sure that they're okay with the situation. And so then, you know, part two is loose leash walking. And that just, all that teaches is the dog to be with you and to be paying attention to your speed. Are we stopping? Are we going? Like they're just, they're tuned in to whatever your body is doing, whatever your body language is. A dog that pulls tends to be a more reactive dog than a dog that walks on a loose leash. She said a lot of people come with reactive dogs. And they're like, I just don't know what to do. And their dogs are choking themselves on the leash. And she's like, I back tie dogs to train aggression because it creates all this pent up frustration and pent up frustration, especially on a leash, results in fear based reactivity, barking, growling, biting, that kind of thing. So, yeah, so that was kind of the three-week focus. It wasn't basic obedience. It was this very specific kind of training. And now she's back. And we just continue it. So we go to Canadian Tire a couple times a week and just walk around and look at things and go downtown and do the same. And she just has a lot more confidence. Like, she's always been a confident dog. But, like, confident bordering on bossy. This is confident. Like, I'm confident that you're not going to put me in a situation that I'm uncomfortable with. I trust you, my handler. Yeah. Kind of confidence, which is nice. Yeah. So I like this whole idea of threshold, though. Like, that's a great visual. And also, I think people have thresholds, like in certain situations. When you think about it, when you think about a threshold and what that means for a dog, they get to that threshold, their brain shuts off and they stop making good decisions. There's absolutely a threshold for humans. This is like a well-known. Yeah. But the same thing, like, it just happens all the time with people. I, I just think like, what if... We started conceptualizing emotional dysregulation and emotional reactions with our personal threshold. Like, what if we just acknowledged, hey, I have a threshold in a variety of situations and it can be different. Like social situations, my threshold is pretty low. If I'm like with a small group of people, if I'm with you, my threshold's really high. If I'm stressed out, if I'm busy with work, threshold is low. And if you just start acknowledging, like, I'm very aware of what I can handle in these situations and like strategically maybe expose yourself to it to maybe start bumping it up. Like, I think that that can work in the same way, but also like, you know, don't put yourself in a situation where your brain is going to shut off and you're going to stop making good decisions. Essentially, there's a video about like emotion mind and wise mind and it uses like your hand. So if your hand is like in a palm that's your brain in like a logical, like wise mind regulated state. Yeah. And then if you open your hand up, it's like your brain flipping, mm. like it's lit, I guess. Flipping your lid. That's like when you're dysregulated. Yeah. And we've talked about this, I think, on the podcast before where you have like some people can become dysregulated when they're above threshold and some people can become like dysregulated when they're below threshold, like yep. hypo hypo aroused aroused yeah yeah so it's like it definitely is a thing for humans and just like with dogs there's different ways of training yourself and like exposing yourself to new environments or like even just learning how to cope like ways to cope with those emotions to bring yourself back into a regulated state and yeah. that sort of thing very interesting i mean the difference between dogs and humans i think i'm not a dog so i don't know but we 
have the ability, we have more foresight, we have more understanding. Like you have all these tools that dogs don't necessarily have. Like dogs have primitive tools and they learn through exposure. We also learn through exposure, but like we also learn through understanding. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, I was thinking, I've been thinking about that and how similar that concept is for humans. Okay. Moving on. Speaking of primitive. Oh, okay. We've shared with you that we have a new cat, Mel. <laughs> Mel has been engaging in some weird activity. But only really in the last, like, when did she start doing this? So we've had her since October. So we've had her for two and a half months. Yeah. And probably in the last month. Uh-huh. And it's gotten progressively worse this last few days. Yeah. Due to some house guests. She's a... Uh... Well, I mean, we don't know, but the internet tells us that she's hunting for us. Okay. So what happens is Mel, and this usually occurs in the evening slash nighttime. So around like 9 PM when we're getting ready for bed. Yeah. She's downstairs. We're upstairs with the other two animals, Ivy and Rue. And Mel is downstairs yelling. Straight up. Like meowing, but like she's meowing so hard that her meows like crack. So I like to call it yelling. Yowling. Yeah. She's yowling. She's meowling. And we come downstairs in the morning and she's moved Rue's toys around. Yeah. Like she seems to like using like the downstairs landing where the two like flights of stairs meet to collect a couple of Rue's toys. Yeah. She likes Rue's little bunny Uh, and the rooster. Cluck. And now she's been moving around the dragon. Puff. Yeah. They all have names. Yeah. For Rue. Then my dad came and visited. He's been here since Saturday And she's been like extra active. She's been expressing this behavior more frequently. So with more like. Guster. Yeah. Yeah. The the toys are are moving, but she's also going into your dad's bag and getting his socks out and putting those on the landing or like all the way upstairs. Yeah. Maybe she's like, you know what? There's more people here. I have to do more hunting. It's super weird that they all end up in the same place and the howling. At first I thought because she used to be a breeding cat that she was some sort of like, do you think this is your baby? Like, are you collecting babies that are toys? But based on my 10 minutes of internet research, it's more likely that she's just trying to make us proud by hunting for us. Okay. Yeah, most likely. So she's actually trying to impress us and not try to tell my dad to get out. No. It's funny because my dad is sleeping in the bed that she uses as her day bed. Yeah. So at first I thought maybe she was like, get out of my space. Like she's ticked. I'm going to move your clothes out one at a time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She actually, she's very active lately. We came downstairs yesterday morning and she had taken your down jacket off the hanger, wherever it was. It was hanging on a doorknob. She had pulled the jacket down gone into the pocket and pulled out all the baggies that had dog treats in them and presumably maybe (laughs) ate the dog treats. So that's been interesting and hilarious. I came downstairs a couple weeks ago. I was just, I wasn't sleeping well. I don't know if it was when I had my cough going or what, but so I wasn't super tired. So I came downstairs and I did some work. It was probably like 1am, but I brought with me my pillow and my little sheep stuffy that I sleep with, sleep sheep. So I could move into the downstairs bedroom when I was ready to go back to sleep. And, and just, just to just to say, Meredith sleeps with a sheep, a stuffed animal, not because she's like emotionally connected to it. No. But it's because it, otherwise you crap. I like curl my wrists really bad and so it gives me wrist if you, trouble. Yeah. If you have the sheep and you curl, you can only curl so far. Yeah. It, it like basically stops my wrist from 
pending. Yeah. That's why I sleep with the sheep. Yeah. But it is definitely... I but can't, she brings it everywhere. Like when we travel, she brings her sheep. I can't sleep without it. It's and then she... Weird. Like a years ago, you bought me one. <laughs> I did. Because I was like, ooh, you'll love this. You know, that's what I do. I buy people the things that I love. And then you ended up giving it to your... I gave it to nephew. Ashton. Yeah. So anyways, I brought the sheep down with me and Mel was super excited that I was awake. She's like kind of a night owl, as you know. And so I plopped my pillow and the sheep down on the ottoman... And this is the first time I ever saw this behavior, like up close. She jumped onto the ottoman, grabbed the sheep like it was her baby, and took off. And I was just like, oh, uh, well, that's mine. And then she like sat there, and then she does this thing. If she wants something to be hers, she did this with Ivy's cat bed yeah, when she first got that here. That was weird. And she'll do it. If you get her a new toy that she's quite fond of, she'll do this. But she'll essentially just start like, producing a lot of saliva and just like rub it all over it's the thing. like things will become very wet yep like not like damp like soaking wet yeah it's like, weird i don't even know how she produces that much spit in when that she amount was of, doing it with like, the bed we were hysterical yeah i still have the video it's it's like it's so bizarre yeah comes through somewhat on it video, didn't stop but, ivy from using that bed i know She's like, you know what, Mel? Screw you. This is still mine. I don't think Ivy gets it. No, she doesn't. Yeah. She's not from a multiple cat home, so she doesn't understand yeah. this sort of territorial behavior. I would say <clears throat> Mel has interesting behavior, but she also was a former breeding cat. Yeah. So, yeah. And Ivy was spayed when she was young. She was spayed at like 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. So Ivy doesn't have any inclination towards making Rue's toys her babies. No. Or hunting, all. really. She's like, just put the f bowl of food down yeah. in front of me. But Mel has a drive. She's got a real primitive drive. <laughs> real prey drive. She's like a wild animal. Yeah. You can just give her pieces of meat. And she's like, thank you so much. And then she'll just, she'll eat it. Yeah. Like a big hunk of salmon with the skin on. Love it. So to parlay into the next topic. Okay. We're more like Ivy. Um, in that we don't really have... A prey drive? A dry, a motherly drive. Oh, yeah. This has come up a few times, and we've never really talked about it on the podcast in great detail. So we thought we would maybe talk about it. And look, like, we work with a ton of people who have children, and that's great for them. Everyone can make their own decisions, right? Because this is the line that we get. Yes. We would never want to impose our beliefs about children on other people. By saying, why the fuck would you have children? <laughs> Look at your life. Look at your life. Are you insane? But we get the equivalent of that. Exactly. From people. Which sucks. They're like, well, what are you going to do when you're old? I'm like, I don't know. Be super fucking happy. Just <laughs> like I am now. But I do think that that's part of why it's taken us so long to talk about this. And there's still part of me that's like, eee, should we just like be out with it? You know, like, hey, we're not having kids. There's part of me still, probably more so than you, that's like, doesn't feel great about that decision. Like, I feel good about it. If I lived on a planet with just me, there wouldn't be no hesitation. Well, but I mean, the societal pressure, gonna... the response that we get from people makes me feel ashamed mm -hmm. and guilty and bad, which sucks. And it's not everyone. No. But there are definitely like certain beliefs and things that have been said to us that you're just like, oof, Yucky. that didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. I remember this one time we it's were having... It's kind of like when you're gay, but you don't want to come out because your friend's like, oh, that's so gay. Yeah. And then you're like, oh. But I'm also gay. 
You know, and then they'd be like, what? Like, Nothing. I was just joking. <laughs> so stupid. You know? Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. It's like, <laughs> this always happens. I'll be talking to people and they're just going on about how, like, you know, my kid did this and this one's sick. And, you know, then the other one shit in his pants and rubbed it all over the wall and like all of these things. And they're like, anyways, so are you guys thinking about having kids? <laughs> like, why does it always follow that conversation? <laughs> Maybe. But after that, absolutely not. No, but that has nothing to do with it. I think the... <laughs> it has something to do with it. Does. Everybody who, I think we just read this, who doesn't, specifically women, not so much men, who have made the decision not to have children, seems like they have like the speech. Well, here's my speech about not having children. Yeah. Like it's prepared, locked and loaded. My favorite too is when people are like, but you would make such good parents. I'm like, you don't know anything about me. I would make a horrible parent. I'd make a great cat mom. Because I can leave the cats at home for 24 hours with a bowl of food and water. Yeah. And leave and not worry. Like the other day, like you'd make a great mom. No. Like, number one, I've never that like. Here's the speech. <laughs> that drive, that like desire to have children as a female, as a woman, never felt not even a tickle okay, of that. Okay, let's back up. Okay. When we first got together, we were 27, 20, 28. 28. I was 27. You were 28. Around there. Yeah. And we knew pretty early on that we were probably going to get married and like be together forever. So I think it was even before we were engaged, we talked about kids because like, I think society has taught us that you find your partner or not. But I think like generally it's like, there's a plan that you follow to some degree, which I know is changing, but it's still like we were brought up in a time where Nuclear families are valued. Yeah. So even being gay, it's like a lot of people you see are having kids. Like you get married, you have kids, <laughs> you have that life. And a lot of people growing up, maybe it's because like most of my friends were kids that it was just like, I only knew people who had kids. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Okay. So when we were first kind of together and like realizing we were going to be together forever, we were talking about having kids, yeah, like as if it was just next. And then we would say like, okay, Alex, like I think originally because you loved me so much and you would do anything for me, you were like, I'll carry with your eggs. And I was right. like, that is a great deal. Sick. <laughs> I don't have to lift a finger. And so then you're like, you should freeze your eggs. And then we started kind of talking about it and talking to other people who had maybe like had kids or adopted kids or whatever. And I kind of got like scared because a lot of people who didn't really know what they were talking about, not a lot, a few, were telling me like how expensive it was and like what an ordeal it was to freeze your eggs and then get eggs fertilized and IVF. And I mean, IV like it is an ordeal. It really is. And like the cost and the like the success rates and stuff like it's scary. And that wasn't what deterred me, but it definitely sparked the conversation. Yeah. It was like we aren't naive anymore. Like we know what this is going to take. And I think it was driving to like Golden a few years ago. We were both kind of like, wait a second, do we want kids? Yeah. And we kind of like had a conversation. We're like, I don't think we do, at least not right now. Yeah. And then as like time progressed over the last few years, my speech to most people has always been like, not right now. We're not ready. Like we're kind of enjoying our life right now. But I think it's becoming clear as we get older, like I'm 34, you're 35. And that's not 
too old to have kids by any means. No. We still have time if we were to change our minds. But I think we've kind of settled on like, nope, that's not going to be for us. Yeah. And like your sister has two kids and like, yes, they live a little bit far away, but we visit them frequently and we can see them being in our lives more so when they're a bit older. But it's like, I think we've pretty much are decided on not having kids. And a lot of our friends don't have kids, like our adult friends. Yeah. But there are still times where I feel this, like, is there something wrong with me? I think it's normal. It's probably normal to feel like, am I just, am I missing something? Yeah. Like, am I missing something that would create the desire to have kids for me? And, and people say, like, you know, it's the greatest thing ever. I love them so much. Like, yes, there are pains in the butt and, you know, they change your life and all that. But I wouldn't change it for the world. Like, you hear that and you're like, oh, maybe I should want kids, you know? Yeah. And then you hear this, like, oh, you're going to regret it when you're older. Yeah. Like, that one's a hard one to hear. I don't want to have kids now when I don't want them because I think when I'm 60, I'm going to feel lonely. Right. Or like, okay, well, what if, you know, we break up or one of us dies? Like, then you're really alone. But also, you can find family. Well, you don't need to have children to have family. And having children as a, like, to guarantee yourself company and support when you're older is not the right way, <laughs> yeah. not the right reason to have kids. Not to mention, it definitely doesn't guarantee that. Yeah, because most kids are like, see ya. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that there are a lot of people who do value family and yeah. time with their parents. But there are also people who, like, I talk about this with my hairdresser a lot because she's in her 50s, doesn't have kids, absolutely never wanted them, doesn't regret not having them. And we've talked about that, right? People having kids so that they guarantee themselves support. She's like, I'm in the US. My dad is in Czechoslovakia. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to go support him. So if that's the reason why he wanted kids, like tough cookies. Yeah. I'm in Canada now, you know, and that's one rebuttal to a very common line of logic that people have, which isn't actually logical. Yeah. I think when I start thinking about, like, I see both sides. I'm not like, oh my God, who would ever want kids? No, I, mean, I know. There are certainly moments that I'm like, oh my goodness, like, that's your life. Holy. But then I do, I see people who have kids who are extremely happy. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And then I remind myself, everyone is different. Like, yeah. I used to think in my ways, my immature ways, like, well, why doesn't everyone like going to the gym and working out? Like, because some people don't. Just like, I don't like hanging around the office after work and drinking whiskey. Yeah. Like everyone's different. People like different things. People have different interests. And like for you and me, we have a lot of interests outside of our home. Right. Like we have a lot of hobbies and I don't necessarily want those to be impacted. And there's like, yeah, there's a selfishness to it. But yeah. so what? Like you're allowed to do that. Like you're allowed to make life. decisions. And that's not the only reason. No, there's but lots of different reasons. Yeah. I've just never, if I'm honest, even back when we were discussing the possibility, there was really no part of me that actually wanted that. It was like, if you were really adamant about it, I might. I think at this point, I would still probably push back pretty hard on that. But I've just never had, like I said, not even a tickle of maternal desire. There was a kid. We, I was in the grocery store last week. And this is at like 5 p.m. You know, as busy as it gets in Fernie. And there was this woman, presumably the mom, don't want to make any assumptions, this older man, presumably the grandpa, again, don't want to make any assumptions, with probably a one and a half to two year old child. And it was apparently the right time for that child to be exploring the grocery store on foot and touching everything, getting in everyone's way. And I kept coming across this kid 
And, you know, I think that, number one, I'm actually not a super patient person. (laughs) Um, Don't say. And, like, I don't know why the burden falls on me to be super patient in every single situation. I did exhibit some patience until I flattened him with my grocery cart because, like, get the hell out of my way. I'm just kidding. I didn't actually flatten him (laughs) with my grocery cart, but I was like, really? Really? You know? I think what bothers me is when a kid is doing something, it's a kid. Yeah. It's not the kid. I don't have a problem with no. the kid. It's like the parents get your get your kid. Yeah. Like I feel like, in my opinion, again, this is my opinion. Everyone is entitled to their own opinions. Some people with kids these days, there's like a oh, because I think my kid's cute and my kid is in a developmental stage. They should be able to do whatever they want at the expense of other people's experience, experience, happiness quality of living, even in a specific moment, like at the airport or at the grocery store. Like I've had kids kicking the back of my seats in airplanes. And I turn around and say like, Hey, can you stop? And like the parent is ticked at me because it's like my kid, it's my kid. Like they should be able to do what they want. Like, you know, yeah. like there's just, or like kids running up and down the aisles. Like that's where is that? Why is that? Okay. But that has nothing to do with having kids or not. No. And that's not why I'm not having kids. That's just like an annoyance that I have. My whole thing is like, I also understand that kids are really hard. Yeah. So like, there's that too. Would a good mother have the desire, even if it was a fleeting desire and you'd never act on it, to run a child over (laughs) with a grocery cart? I don't think so. I think so. Really? I think a lot of people want to... (laughs) Maybe. But anyways, yeah. I don't know. I think, so there was a TV show we watched recently where they said something about kids. Like, Hmm. it was Lessons in Chemistry. Yeah, she goes over to the one woman's house who's like an experienced mother. She has two younger kids. Uh. The woman with the new baby comes over and says like, I'm having some weird feelings about my kid. Yeah. Like, I don't like it. And she was like, that's normal. Yeah. I do think it is. Especially like... That's part of the difficulty, I think, with kids is the difficulty specifically that women have in the postpartum window, which can be immediate to, I don't know, a year, year and a half, not really talked about openly, kind of like how, you know, heaven forbid you announce your pregnancy early in case you lose it. There's a lot of the experience for moms and for mothers that like hasn't been normalized even still. So that's not to downplay the actual difficulty that women have. You know, it doesn't just because you really want kids doesn't mean that kids are easy, you know, and in, in knowing that it just all it does is like hardens my resolve to not have them mm-hmm. because I don't want that experience in addition to a lot of other things that come with kids. Yeah, I think that the societal pressure is still there and probably will be for a long time. And I was reading this thesis that was written in 1977 by a PhD candidate at The Ohio State University. And I, when I looked it up, I was kind of expecting it to be dissenting on women who chose not to have children. Like, that's the way that I read the intro. So I was like, oh, this would be kind of interesting. Especially published that time. Yeah, 77. But it wasn't, and it wasn't necessarily like pro, I don't think you can even be pro women not having children. I think you can be pro choice in many ways. Pro, do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, to your life. Yeah, it did say that the societal stigma, specifically with and for women who choose not to have children, impacts quality of life. And it impacts the way that they're seen. Women are often seen in a very negative light. They're seen as selfish. They're seen as, I can't remember some of the other words. Selfish was 
definitely the kind of the big one. And just imagine what that does like over time in society. I think it can be so subtle. You know, are you choosing to not have kids? Ooh. You know, what does that say about you as a woman? I remember one person said, oh, so it was right after we got married and it was like, oh, so when are, when are you guys having kids? And it was like, oh, we're not yet right now. Not really. It's just not in the right time. They're not going to have any. And then she was like, oh, good for you. But I did know this one woman who didn't have kids and she really regretted it later in life. Yeah. And we were like, oh. It was so weird because at first it was like, you know, that's great yeah. that you're making that decision. I think, you know, it's really like everyone should make the decisions that that is best for them. And then literally without even taking a second or a breath was like, but, I, you know, I had this friend who got into her late 50s and yeah, she told me that was the biggest regret of her life, not having kids. It's like, OK, wait, what <laughs> did you just say? I don't know. It's yeah. Sometimes I joke and it's like I think people who have kids just want everyone to be miserable. I don't actually believe that's true. It was something that Seth Rogen said on uh, some late night show that, you know, people just want to share in their misery. Yeah. I think just it's tough, but there's also great things. I mean, I'm sure it is great, but there, yeah, it's like, what do you want your life to look like? And I think generally like in this phase of society, of our life, of the world, I think people have a tendency to over identify with literally every decision that they make. I don't know if that's the result of the internet or what, but like their coffee order, people will identify with that. And it's like, if there's even an inkling that someone thinks that they have made the wrong decision, maybe by virtue of someone else not making the same decision, then it can maybe just feel very damaging. Can yeah, make it I do think that that's very true. I mean, I do this too. You want to justify your decisions. It feels good. So this feels validating when yes, people make validating. the same. Yeah. And that's the like when we spend and time. And you connect with people who you have like common interests. Yeah. And when we spend time with our friends who don't have kids, it's validating. Yeah. Just like for people with kids, it's probably validating to spend time with other people who have kids. At a minimum, you can kind of like vent and share the experience and yeah. the difficulty. While we don't vent, we just ride bikes and go skiing. Yeah. But that's I think everyone is looking to feel like seen and heard and like fundamentally when someone who's in a somewhat similar position to you makes a very different decision. It's like, well, wait, hang on a second. Why are you making that decision? Yeah. Why aren't you making the same decision as me? I need to know all your reasons because I need it to make sense in my head. Yeah, That's how I feel. Mm -hmm. It's confused. Every yeah. time we come back from visiting your sister, while it's enjoyable, I'm very confused. Yeah. I'm like, but why would someone want that? It's so <laughs> loud it is yeah it's loud it's poopy it's a lot it's just a lot you don't sleep a, a lot <laughs> it's like when do you shower when do you work out yeah but that's like again that's part of it and it's the difficulty and you don't even know how long that period of time is gonna be like yeah. it's not like hey you know what hang in there because at the six month mark it's gonna get better well and then you have like them when they're teenagers and being a teenage girl, that was hard. Yeah. And I imagine it's hard for my mom. And like, even now, like, I can't even imagine. It was hard enough for me to be a teenager and go to high school. And I kind of like skirted through because I was so into sports. But social media was not a thing back then. Mm -hmm. And now it is. Yeah. I don't. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Am I in a good place to be supporting someone else through that stuff? I mean, I struggle with it. I know. <laughs> It's just, yeah, there's so many reasons. There are plenty of kids. We don't need to make another one. 
what maybe kind of we world? are gay for a reason well that's a whole thing right yeah. there's that gay uncle or gay aunt theory which basically just says because of the complexity of like human social circles and the amount of because essentially human babies are born what like six months too early really like and that's just to say they are the most helpless infant animal that exists partially because like our heads are so freaking big that if we were born any later it would just guarantee the death of the mom but anyways there's a lot of theories on why that is and part of it i think what people have agreed on is that it increases the social bonding between the mother and the baby that's one thing that happens during that period of time but also looking back and how humans have existed really until very recently in social circles, it's not just been one mom, one dad, one baby, and they take care of each other. It literally, quite literally, takes a village. So there's shared responsibility to care for all of the babies. So there's one theory that exists that thinks that the prevalence of homosexuality in human beings, which I think is estimated between like 8 and 10%, is possibly so that there are more non-child-rearing human adults to help care and support the children that are in the village and in the kind of collective community. So with that said, it almost... If you need any help watching your kids, find other homosexuals, not us. Not these homosexuals. <laughs> we are not... This is not a volunteering situation. But, you know, maybe that's... We would be doing ourselves a disservice and not doing our due diligence if we had kids. It yeah. would be going against our biology. Plus, like, look, as hard as we try, I just, I don't think we're ever going to be able to get ourselves pregnant. <laughs> you and me. Yeah. Anyways, that's all kind of speculation. But I guess they observe homosexuality in dolphins and in whales, too. Both also have very complex social circles and sort of communal upbringings of young offspring. So that's not just you know, a wild theory. I think it's might be somewhat valid. I don't know. Yeah. It feels valid. It feels good. It felt good to say that. It did. It, yeah. it felt good to hear it. But yeah, that's like, it's a tricky topic. And it none of this is to say that having kids, if you do choose to have them or you have had them, that we're like saying you shouldn't. Absolutely not. It's like, I can totally see it. Sometimes I look at Instagram where people show the highlight reels of their life and I see their little families and I'm like, oh, that looks so fun. Yeah. And, you know, you were, you get reminded of like your time as a kid with your family and like yeah. having that. And of course, like there are moments where you're like, do I want that? But it's obviously there's a lot of factors to consider. Yeah. And I can definitely see the appeal for kids and for big families or small families or whatever it may be. But everyone is different. Yeah. And this isn't like an advice podcast by any means. It's just like sharing our opinion. I think it's an interesting topic yeah. that we have been hesitant to kind of come out with. Yeah. And maybe in next year, when we're on podcast episode 190. I think it'll be more than that, but let's go with um, it. We do one podcast a week. Oh, yeah, you're right. It'll be around 190. Yes, unless we start like really pumping these out. One a day. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll know more mm -hmm. about why and what and just more insight into some of like our decisions and how we feel about it. Yeah. But it's certainly an interesting conversation that we have with each other very often. And other people without kids or people with kids. Yeah. I like my niblets a lot. And I like handing them back. Yeah. I work with a lot of moms. And it's not because we don't understand firsthand what it's like to be a mom, to have kids. It doesn't mean that we can't support them either. Plus, we have two, well, 
Marissa's going to be a mom to be and Mallory's a mom. Yeah. And we specifically brought Mallory onto our team because we also had somebody else who was a mom who no longer works for us to provide insight to us so that we can be better coaches to people who have families and are able to better understand the complexities of those lives. Yeah. Cause they are complex. Yeah. Sometimes I just say, wow, that sucks. Which and is sometimes, you know what? That's sometimes what moms need to hear. Yeah. That is awful. Yeah. Cause I don't have any solutions. I can't say anything else. Certainly can't make any promises <laughs> that it will get better or one day be worth yeah. it, but you can certainly empathize with people mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. I remember once when we had a client of ours come visit, friend, client, more so a friend now, come visit. She has two young kids and we were just hanging out one Sunday. We just like took the day off from working out and stuff. And we just kind of were like, oh, do you want to go for a walk? Okay, let's go to the river. Do you want to go for dinner tonight? <laughs> she was like, is this like every weekend for you? And we were kind of like, I mean, yeah, can be. <laughs> this is our life. I saw a meme the other day that it was like friends with no kids. Like, hey, do you want to go to Africa on Friday? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which is pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So, but of course there are definitely like pros and cons. So like with everything in life. Yep. But thanks for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed this to some degree. Are you wrapping it up? Oh yeah. Oh, that was well, just Well, I mean, I was going to talk about the new carpets that we're getting, but- I didn't really feel like that fit in. <laughs> I don't know how to put carpets in after kids. Yeah. I guess without kids, our carpets will, and our dog grown up to some degree, she stopped peeing on the carpets. We can get new carpets and be safe. Yeah. So it kind of ties in. I guess. Yeah. You don't have to worry and about them as much. And we have like more money for it. It's true. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to, without having to pay for kid stuff, you can buy things like new carpet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you weren't jealous before. There you go. New carpet. Really, you know, middle of the road stuff too. Not yeah. bottom of the barrel. Not top of the line. We're not going wool. We're not made of money here. But it'll be, uh, it'll be plush. So yeah, the carpets are new. Okay. They'll be coming January, the end of January. So we'll keep you updated on that. All right. I'm sure people will wait <laughs> with bated breath to hear about that. Alex, good job. Thanks. Yep. All right. Now, I want you to wrap this up, but I want you to do a better job than what you were just doing. Oh, okay. Because it was like, it was a soft, I was like, I don't know what's going on oh, here. Oh, I'm sorry. So, okay. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm going to give you one more attempt. And if it's no good, I'm just going to take over. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to our opinions and our decisions and our reasons and our feelings. I welcome you to join us again next week where we'll be talking more about ourselves and we may have a special guest. I'm trying to convince my dad to come on the podcast. If he doesn't show, we'll find something else just as interesting to talk about. If you like this podcast, please leave a review, share with your friends, or tell your mom who wants you to have kids and is making you feel bad about it to listen to it and share with her friends. Catch you on the next one. Good job. Thanks. <laughs>